Now, as we're doing that this morning, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, we're not doing this study alone. As we're going through the Gospel of John, we're partnering together with several other churches throughout the region to study it together. On Wednesday, a bunch of pastors from uh, Valley Bible Church, from Hope Valley, and from us came together, and we sat down, and we looked at this passage together. And I'll be honest, um, if it's good, it probably came out of that study time, because those guys had some fantastic insight into God's Word, and it was a time of iron sharpening iron. And that's what we're going to be doing is every Wednesday at the pastors from those churches. Plus, we're hoping to add in uh, Charles Wilson, who's the pastor at the Hill Church in Roanoke. And uh, Tim Worrell over at, I think he's at Calvary Baptist? Yeah, Calvary Baptist in Radford. Tim's going to be joining with us as well. And a few other churches, they're kind of partnering together to be able to sharpen each other and go through this at the same time. So if you call friends from Hope Valley today and you say, hey, what Jared preach on this morning? You already know, okay? Now, he's got a little bit of a different outline than I've got. If you have friends over at Valley Bible Church, you can say, hey, what did Brett preach on this morning? Well, he's using, actually, Brett took part of my outline and he took part of Jared's outline and he made his own outline out of it. So we're sharpening each other. We're studying together. And as we're doing that this morning, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John from here to Christmas, and we'll take a break around Christmas, and then we'll pick it back up at, towards the end of the year there as we get closer to, um, to what else going with, uh, let's see, we'll go from January into about May is where we'll, we'll kind of go. Now, if you were with us through our study through the Sermon on the Mount, or if you were with us through our study through the book of Acts over the last several months, you know that I like to go really slow through a passage. Well, having these guys encouraging us and challenging us means we're going to pick up the plow a little bit, and we're not going to dig quite as deep. We're not going to be able to cover everything that we would normally cover. And so that's a great opportunity, by the way. If you're wanting to go deeper in some of these things, this would be a great time for you to get together with some friends as a part of the church. If you want to do it, we can put together a study guide that would give you some additional questions you could talk about and take a deeper dive into some of the things that we're not going to be able to cover. So, like I said, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. We're going to try to cover verses 1 through 18 today. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have noticed how dark it's getting, how quick? I was outside playing with the kids, you know, and and I noticed about 6.30, the shadows are already starting to get long, you know? And I don't really like that. I like having the summer sunshine. I, I noticed this morning that it took a while for the light to come streaming through the bre- bedroom window. It's not quite like it was about a month ago. It seems like it's getting dark a whole lot earlier and, and it's taking a lot longer to get light. Well, you know, I bet if you look at the world around you, some of the conversations that I've had, feels like it's kind of the same thing, doesn't it? Seems like disease is running rampant. There's wars and rumors of wars. Seems like temptation is stronger than it's ever been, and it seems like evil is winning, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Doesn't it seem like it some days? There's times when we look at it and we, we say, God, have you just lost control? I mean, let's be honest. You ever have that feeling? See, as you look at the darkness around you this morning, we're going to see that Jesus, as he came, he came as the life and the light to push back on that darkness. You ever seen a horror movie or, or maybe even like in, uh, see, I guess in Hobbit when he pulls out the sword and it glows whenever there's an orc nearby and, and the creatures of the darkness retreat because of the, the light that's coming, you know? There's that unsettled feeling when you see the darkness creeping in, but then all of a sudden a light pierces through and pushes back the darkness. As we dive into the Gospel of John this morning, this is what we're seeing. Into the darkness of the broken and fallen world in which we live comes the light and life of men. 
And as we look at Jesus as the source of life and the source of light, here's what we're going to be challenged with. You have a response that you have to give. You have a choice to make when you look and see what Jesus is doing. This is not going to be an academic exercise for us. Now, I'll be honest with you today. We're going to be covering some really big theological topics like the Trinity and and, and stuff like that. And as we go through this, don't think this is just about you knowing facts in your head. But instead, as we look at Jesus as the source of life and light in the world, let this affect your heart. Because he... Just jump ahead to the good part right here. Verse 5 says, That light, talking about the light that comes from Jesus, shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. That's where we're headed this morning, guys. In the midst of a world that seems to be getting darker by the minute, we want to look to the light of the world. Okay? Now, as we do this, let me give you just a little bit of background information because some of you guys do like the background stuff. So the Gospel of John was written by John the Apostle. He was one of the 12 original disciples. In fact, it appears as you go through the Gospels that John was one of the inner circle of three that really got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. So you had Peter, James, and John. If you remember, we've talked a lot about Peter and James. Uh, We even talked about John some through our study in Acts. Peter's the one that was leading the church. James was the one that was the first martyr that was of the apostles and all. He wasn't the first Christian to die for his faith, but he was the first of the 12 to die. This is his brother, John. John most likely was the youngest of all of the apostles. He was probably considerably younger, and tradition tells us he's the only one who didn't actually die for his faith. All, others, all of the other 11 were, were killed for following Christ, but he died in exile as an old man. This, of the Gospels, there's four different Gospels. There's three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that all are very similar in their content. They tell a lot of the same stories, although they're talking about it from different perspectives. The Gospel of John is different than all of those. John was writing later than the rest of them. He wrote probably around 80 AD. So this is probably about 50 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So he's writing after everybody's already had the other Gospels for a while. Those Gospels, by the way, theologians call the three that are very similar, they call them the synoptics, okay? And now, when you read John, 90% of what's in John is not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's very little crossover. So what is going on? Is he telling a totally different story? Is this conflicting with it? Well, John MacArthur said it this way, in quoting a really smart guy named D.A. Carson. Um, He said, John and the synoptics were designed by the divine spirit to supplement each other. They represent an interlocking tradition. That is, they mutually reinforce or explain each other. So as you look at what's going on in John, you'll notice, like, for instance, when we get to John chapter 11, you have uh, Jesus talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus was Mary and Martha's brother. Well, nowhere in the gospel does John ever say who Mary and Martha was. Why? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay? So you've got John giving us a different perspective. And as he does this, by the way, one thing to note that's going to be important, especially when we get into chapter 2, and again, we're getting the introduction stuff out of the way, and we'll keep moving, okay? One thing to notice is that John arranges the content of his book in thematic order, not in chronological order, okay? So if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but for the most part, they tell this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But you'll notice, like in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about when Jesus cleansed the temple. That happened the last week of Jesus' life. That's the last Passover. That's right before the crucifixion. But in John, it happens in chapter 2. Why? Because it's like a really good movie. 
You ever watch, how many of you remember the movie The Prestige? Did you guys ever watch that? It was about magicians. It was almost impossible to follow because it kept bouncing back and forth from what was happening now, and then it went back in the past, and then something in the future, and then it was what was now, and it just kept bouncing back and forth to build this dramatic tension. Well, that's what John's doing by arranging these stories. He's not trying to to give you a chronological account. In fact, he's giving you a theological, thematic account of what took place. Now, it's easy for us to sit there and, and try to guess at what his purpose is, but the great thing is John actually tells us exactly what his purpose for writing the book is. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and uh, Jamie, these should be up on the screen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In other words, I couldn't write down everything, right? John says there's too much for me to write. Then he goes on and says in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. All right, leave that up for a second. This is the purpose of the book of John, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So this is what John's doing in arranging the stories, in arranging the teaching the way that he does. He's helping make the case and prove that Jesus really is the divine Son of God, the Messiah, God's special servant that he called to restore the world to what it was supposed to be. And that as you see that and come to understand that, that you would individually, personally put your faith and trust and stake your life on believing in him and that you'll have life through believing in his name. Now, here's what's fascinating. As we look through chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, we're going to see he basically plays that out in the way that he goes through what's called the prologue to the Gospel of John. Now, this is an absolutely beautiful passage. I want us to look at some of the pictures because he's going to use some figures of speech that may not be immediately apparent to us. There's not enough time to dive into all of it. I wish there was because it's so incredible to see it. But I want to read it together, and it's going to be kind of long, so you're just going to have to track with me. But I want to read it, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to look at it basically from the two ways that John told us the purpose of his book, of looking at who Jesus is and then looking at what our response should be, okay? So read it with me, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Not, you don't have to read it out loud. I'll read it. You just read along with me, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, that, the word there is talking about Jesus, if you're not familiar with it. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, by the way, we're going to kind of skip over the stuff about John a little bit today. That's not talking about John who wrote the book. That's talking about John the Baptist, who was the prophet who came before Jesus. We'll talk about him next week. Verse 7, he, talking about that John, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. By the way, verse 14 is one of the most incredible statements in all of human history. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Pray with me. Father, I just can't. (laughs) In and of myself, I can't fully explain how incredible Jesus is. But you can. So right now, through your Holy Spirit in our lives, would you help us to see from your word exactly who Jesus is? And for those of us who know you, would you help us to again rest in the depth of who Christ is and what our relationship with you looks like because of that? And for any who are here, who are listening or who are watching online, who don't yet know you, would they see who Jesus truly is? And today, would you draw them to yourself? So God, be with this lisping, stammering tongue and speak your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's take a quick dive in and look at it along the lines we've already talked about. First off, we're going to be looking at who is Jesus. We said that this is one of the main purposes behind John writing the Gospel of John is to show you who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, from the very first word that John writes, he's establishing for us that Jesus isn't just some good teacher or some miracle worker, some guru that you ought to look at. He's stating up front that Jesus is fully God from the moment that he starts. The language he uses here points us back to Genesis 1 and the way God created the world. John refers to Jesus as the Word here, and he makes it clear that the Word is, him, is himself God, just like the Father's God. So as he does that, we see a picture emerge that we really want to dig into. By the way, that thing about the Word, it meant really cool stuff to Greeks, it meant really cool stuff to Jews, it didn't mean at all what they thought, and Jesus was the fulfillment of both. He was actually much greater than anything that they could have expected. So here's what we want to focus on, though. I want us to focus on these two pictures that John gives us about him being, first of all, the source of life. Look down at verse 4. In him was life, and that light, or life was the light of men, okay? John starts off by saying that the word, Jesus, was there in the beginning. Now, in the Greek, there's no the there. It's just in beginning, um, it's kind of like, you know, I've had some friends who are a little more country who say, I'm going to the Walmart, okay? You don't have to say the when you say Walmart because everybody knows it's Walmart, right? I'm, you know, some of y'all talk about the Facebook. I, I know, I'm sorry. It's just, you don't have to say that. There's only one Facebook. Nobody counts your Facebook that was your yearbook when you were in college back 80 years ago. I'm sorry. It's just, it is, right? You don't have to use the definite article when you're talking about something big. So John simply says, in beginning was the word. What beginning? The beginning. The beginning of everything. He's drawing us back to Genesis chapter 1 where God speaks his words and as he speaks, everything is created. In the beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth and he said, let there be light and there was. What he, John's pointing to is that Jesus was there. If there's any question, by the way, some people would be tempted to say, like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, to say that God created Jesus, that Jesus is not fully God. Well, look at verse number two. He was with God in the beginning. Okay, well, you know, he could have been the first thing that God created. Okay, verse three puts that to bed. 
All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Okay? Track with this for just a second. John is saying that through the word, everything has been created, and there's not a single thing that has been created except through the word. So if the word is a created being, then John's wrong and he's contradicted himself. Jesus was eternally coexistent with the Father. Now, that's big, crazy theological language to mean that just like God the Father has always been there, so has God the Son, so has God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been the eternally coexistent Son of God. He was there at the very beginning. In fact, not only was he there, then we see that he is the source of life. He's the one that actually was a part of doing the creating. As the Father spoke these things into existence, Jesus was the one who actually did the creating. That's what Paul makes clear in Colossians chapter 1. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus created everything, even the things in the spiritual realm that we don't fully understand. That's what it's talking about, the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. Some of that's talking about spiritual realities that we have very little understanding of. Jesus was the agent who created all of those things with the Spirit hovering over the deep. There you see in Genesis chapter 1. It's this beautiful picture that as John is starting off his gospel, he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the source of life. He had life forever in the past. He has this life that he gives to the world as he creates. And if you keep reading in Colossians 1, we're not going to have it on the screen, but we also see he's the one that sustains life. It says, in him all things hold together. You realize that God doesn't have to kill you, by the way. God just has to simply stop letting you live. See, we have this idea that I'm living on my own and that God would have to, to kill me for me to die. That's not how it works, actually. The Bible says that God is the one who's giving you breath. God's the one who's causing your heart to beat. God is the one who's doing all these things. And so when it's time and he chooses to simply let go, that's when death comes because he is the source of life. Now, we know he's the source of physical life, but John's also pointing beyond that to to help us to see that he's a source of spiritual life as well. See, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and because of that, the wages of sin is death. So spiritually, I'm dead before God, and I had no hope and couldn't fix it on my own. So here's what we find. As John's talking about it, he says that the life was coming into the world. As He says that the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. Down into verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We see he's not only the source of life, but he's also the source of light. How many of you guys remember watching cartoons, and what happens when the cartoon character gets an idea? I actually found a book that Caleb has that um, he actually, the character, when he got his idea, it wasn't an incandescent bulb. It's one of the little curly fluorescent ones. I was like, wow, that's a sign of the times, right? Here's what we find. There's always been this idea of enlightenment, of understanding things and being like the lights come on. So what we're finding is, as John's describing Jesus, he says he's not only the source of life, but he's also, that life that he brings with him is also the source of light for the world. I love the way that he says it. Go back to verse 4 again. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a nerd when it comes to flashlights. Ever since I was a kid, my parents lived up against some woods, and I had a dream when I was like five years old that a 40-foot owl came out of the woods, reached in, and grabbed me out of my bed, okay? I still get afraid of the dark. If I'm out in like a parking lot, I remember in college being in this big, empty parking lot one night when it was real foggy, so the lights didn't go very far. And you ever get that thing where you spook yourself? You know, like, you know that you're fine, but like, you just kind of, you know? You know what I'm talking about? We don't like the darkness. There's something that feels unnatural about it. There's something that's not how it should be. What we find is, as we're looking at this world around us that's growing so dark, we find the light of the world coming into the world. By the way, when John's writing this, the temple had been destroyed at least 10 years ago. He's writing to a group of people who have seen the entire Jewish religious system absolutely obliterated and turned upside down. These folks are beginning to be persecuted for following Christ. It hasn't gotten as bad as it is yet, but it's getting there. And he's saying, guys, look, look, guys, I don't like wearing masks, okay? I don't like being told what to do, I'm going to be honest. I got lots of concerns about some of the things I see going on in the world around us. But you know what? Today... Nobody's going to come arrest me out of my house because I stood up and preached Jesus this morning. I can still go into a store tomorrow and buy things even though I was at church today. The people to whom John is writing, they were literally having their businesses taken away. They were beginning to be killed for their faith. You want to talk about dark? I I would say don't ever do it, but if you look back at the ancient Roman literature... It makes the stuff that you see on our movies tame, truthfully. The culture was corrupt, and it was dark. Everything looked bad. But what did John say? Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now, before we get into the beauty of that, notice that there's a connection between the life and the light. Back in verse 4, it said that he, in him was light, and that light, or excuse me, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, as he talks about that, what he's saying is, this is not just about an enlightenment, like the enlightenment uh, that we talk about, where everybody all of a sudden learned how to think rationally, because nobody in history had ever been smart enough to figure that out, right? The enlightenment wasn't as enlightening as it seems in a lot of ways. In those moments, though, what we're seeing is this enlightenment is not just about knowing new truths. It's about the life that God's bringing into the world, enlightening us, and us coming into a relationship with the one who is actually the life giver. It's not just about knowing things. It's not just about mental ascent. It's about this transformation where I then not only see the light, but come into contact with the giver of the life that is that light. Do you see the beauty of the poetry here? There's this connection. Speaking of the context that people, that John was addressing, one commentator says this, light was the symbol of enlightenment like it is today. But our text ought to press us into an even deeper insight, namely that behind light stands a life reality. John may suggest that we ought to look for ultimate meaning, not merely in our systems or enlightenment, but in the ultimate source of the universe, the life giver. We're not talking about enlightenment for enlightenment's sake. We're talking about coming into a relationship with the God of the universe. Now, 
Looking at verse 5, I love the way that John talks about this. Now, somebody do some grammar with me. I know you guys were like, hey, I hope I can go to church and I can do grammar lessons. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. All right, now, pick out your verbs. Look at the verb shines. Somebody tell me, what tense is the verb shines in English? Not getting into the aorist or imperial, you know. Present tense, right? The light shines, present tense, but the darkness did not overcome it. Present or past? Past tense. See, the light came into the world. As we'll see in a minute, Jesus shows us who God is in a way that we've never seen before. He went, he taught, he showed how God was powerful over disease, death, demons, and everything you can imagine. And as he brought that light, as he brought that life, there was a moment where it looked like the darkness was going to win, didn't it? You see, as he went through, he was rejected by those who should have received him, and we'll talk about them in a minute. He was rejected by everybody who should have known what was going on, who should have rejoiced at the fact that he was there. They should have been thrilled that this was going on. And yet, time and time and time again, they rejected him until eventually they put him to death. We sing it sometimes, right, in in Forever, where it says, the light of the world was laid in darkness. Jesus died on the cross, and he was laid in a tomb. I thought he was supposed to push back the darkness, and here he is, his own body's laying in the grave. But what happened? You realize there was a moment where all of a sudden, if you'd been sitting in that tomb, here's what you would have heard. As Jesus took a breath, as his heart began to beat, as all of a sudden light burst forth back into the world, proving that death itself had been defeated, that there was nothing left, Jesus took it, and he died, and in the moment when it got as dark as it possibly could, the light that shines into the world overcame the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. Isn't this incredible to see? So when we look at the world getting dark around us, when we look in fear and frustration at what we're facing or what's happening in our state or our nation or our world, whatever it is, we have to understand the light is still shining because the darkness wasn't able to overcome it. Let's assume worst-case scenario. COVID somehow mutates to where it's got a 100% death rate. The light still wins. Because for those who have placed their trust in Jesus and Savior and Lord, we have life. We have hope. We know that if we die, we will be raised with him because Jesus overcame death itself. Let's say the Chinese come in and take over America and we find ourselves under communist rule and we can't meet like this. Whatever your worst case scenario is. Let's say that the cancer runs rampant and you die. If you know Jesus, guys, there's hope in this. There's joy in this. Because the light came into the world and he's still shining even though every single person who's opposed him has died. The life. The light. Take heart. The light of Christ is still shining in this world, and if the darkness couldn't overcome him when he died, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it won't overcome him now that he's been raised from the dead and exalted. Now, here's where it gets even more just incomprehensible. 
Let your mind, like I remember as a kid, I used to have these times where I'd lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and my mind would think about like eternity or I'd, I'd stare into the stars and try to like picture how far out that was and, and you just kind of let your brain turn to mush. I got old and got busy about life and you know, had all kinds of things. I don't think like that anymore. Let yourself think like that for a minute. Open your head to, to kind of turn to mush for a second out of you think about what's going on here. So where does the Bible usually talk about God living? Heaven, right? That's the Sunday school answer we'd give. You know, God lives in heaven. Now, we know he's omnipresent, so we know he's present everywhere in all of creation at all times. But, but we often talk about God, you know, he exists as spirit, so he's in heaven. We see it in his throne room and things like that. Well, it's great to have life and light in heaven, isn't it? That, that's where we, that should be. That's good. But we're not in heaven, are we? If this is heaven for you, by the way, I, I've, I've got some conversations I'd love to have with you. Heaven is so much bigger than this. Right now, we're not in heaven. We're on earth. Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Some of you are so familiar with the verses that we're getting ready to talk about that you just have lost the incredible reality in them. What, was, what did it take for the light to come into the world? Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, took on human flesh. How many of you guys remember when you were a kid and there was somebody, maybe it was a nursery worker at church or your pastor, or maybe your dad or your grandpa, you know, somebody, somebody that would get down on, on your level and talk to you, you know, and when they, they leaned in, you know, and you just, when you would talk to them, man, you, you felt like you were nine feet tall and you were the most special in the world because they, they came down onto your level. And, you know, you could be rambling about the same stuff that they've heard a thousand times, but it seemed like you were the most interesting person in the world to them. You guys remember that? To have somebody, I hope you had somebody in your life that did that. See, if you've ever had somebody who did that, maybe it was your dad who used to get down on the floor and play with you, or, or your mom who used to, you know, get playful there in the kitchen, she'd squirt you with the, the dishwasher thing, you know, whatever. Maybe you remember those times when, when somebody came down to you like that. It made you feel good, didn't it? Here's what I've figured out as I've gotten older, though. I'm, I'm 38, almost 39, and I have already found that when I kneel down, it does take a little bit more to get up than it used to, right? I can't stay on the floor as long as I used to to play cards or Legos. See, they, they kind of came down to your level and got there with you, and it felt good, but eventually they stood back up. Eventually, Dad had to go back to work. Mom had to get back to her chores, whatever it was. Here's the beautiful truth. Jesus didn't simply kneel down for a little bit. It says that the word became flesh. In something that is almost incomprehensible, Donald Fairburn in his book, Life in the Trinity, says it this way. By flesh, John does not simply mean that the word took on a body or a visible form. He means that the word became human without ceasing to be God. 
the Word, the Son, has come down from heaven, somehow become human as we are, and lived a human life among us. Right? This should absolutely boggle the mind. No one in history could have conceived that God would do this. That as fully God, he would fully take on humanity. And you know what's crazy? Doug Krause and I were talking about this a few months ago when they taught it in Sunday school. He never left that physical body. He was physically raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So right now, Jesus still is the eternal God-man. He's still 100% God and 100% man. He never gave that up. Now, he's exalted above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father. But at the same time, he literally took on flesh never to put it off again. Who could conceive of a God who would do that for us? Like, do you know you? I mean, let's be honest. How frustrated have you gotten this week? How much have you doubted? How much have you been afraid? How much has lust played a part in your life? How much stuff have you coveted this week that didn't belong to you? And yet, the God of the universe would love you so much that to ransom you, he would come on and take on flesh upon himself. Why? So that he could show you God in a way that we've never seen him before. That's what he's getting at in verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. You think back to Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Moses wanted to see God. He asked God, show me your glory. What did God say? I can't show you my real glory because you would die. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over you, and you can see my back after I've passed by. None of us have ever been able to look on the pure, unadulterated glory of God because we would immediately die. That's how good God is. That's how big God is. That's how majestic God is. So no human being has ever seen God fully until Christ. Because as he came, as the one who it says existed in the side of the Father, other translations say in his bosom or on his lap. Now, Jesus is not a child. But think about the imagery that that John is using here. Jesus, who sat in the Father's lap, came to reveal him to you. He came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He fully understood who God was. He knew everything about the Father because he is God himself. And as he comes, he's showing us and inviting us into that very relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. See, here's here's a way to think about it. And again, I... I wrestle with any time we talk about the Trinity because you're going to do injustice to it somehow. If Jesus exists at the bosom of the Father, sits, sits on his lap, what Jesus came to do was to invite you up onto the other leg. Do you understand that? Salvation in Christianity is not about I do all of these things, I don't do all of these things. Now, that's the outworkings of our salvation that changes the way we live. Salvation is because God loved me so much, he would take on flesh to say, hey, I want you to be a part of my family. Do you see that? The source of life, 
the source of light, took on human flesh to invite you into his home. See, that gets into the second thing that we see here this morning. How should I respond in light of what we've seen about who Jesus is? That's woven throughout this passage. Look there in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. See, he gives us there two different responses. This gets back to what we said about the goal of writing the book. These things are written, he said in John 20, 31. We read it before. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not just knowing, but believing, but trusting. Some of you kids are like me. You grew up on the the Disney movies, the classic ones. You remember the movie Aladdin? There's a moment where he turns around and he extends his hand to Jasmine. And what does he say? Do you trust me? All the girls in the room, do you trust me? This is what we mean when we're talking about believing in Jesus. He's reaching down and saying, do you trust me? Not do you know who I am, but are you willing to grab a hold to stake your entire life, your entire eternity on who he is? Now, what he shows us in this passage is there are only two ways to respond to this. First, you can reject him. That's a response. Not a good one, but it is. Look, he created the world. The world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Guys, do you understand that? Like, that'd be like you go into an art gallery, and it's you know, some show for somebody. Like a few years back, Tim had a showing, and I went to the, the showing with him, and it'd be like me sitting here looking at that painting and not recognizing that this is the guy that actually painted it and talking to him about it, right? Jesus came to the world. And it's like, yeah, that's me. That's the one. I created it. And it says, not only did they not recognize him, once they started figuring out who he was, they rejected him. They rejected him. It says in verse 11, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. Now, pick up that metaphor again of light. I have to wake my kids up some school mornings. And Caleb, his room has got blackout curtains. I would sleep for about six years in that room there is no light in that thing. Now, how many of you have ever been in a dark room and you flick on the light? How many of you flicked it right back off again? That's what these people did. The light came into the world and it was uncomfortable to see. I've told you before, our house doesn't have great lighting and so I can't tell you how many times I've gotten dressed in my black dress pants and I come to church and realize that I've got cat hair everywhere and I didn't see it because I wasn't in the light. But in the lights in here, I sure can see it. Now some of you guys are checking. I lint rolled this morning so I should be okay. But that's what happened. Jesus showed up and the religious leaders, all of a sudden they were confronted with the fact that they weren't as good as they thought they were. They weren't as clean as they thought they were. Jesus confronts a rich young ruler about the fact that he has to give up all of his possessions because following Christ needs to be more important than owning stuff. And as the light switch gets turned on, they chose to cover their eyes and try to turn it off. You can do that. I mean, you can walk out those doors and never come back. I don't want to really get into the issue of eternity and, and 
hell and things like that. But look at just what you're missing in this life. Because see, the other option, instead of rejecting him, is to receive him. To receive him. What does he say in verse 12? But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Instead of closing your eyes, you can leave them open. And you've got to blink for a minute, right? It's uncomfortable to look at the light. There's adjustment that has to take place. You can't stay the same. But when you receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives you the right to be called a child of God. Do you get that? Like I said, if Jesus existed at the right hand of the Father from all eternity past as the divine Son of God, then then we have this privilege of recognizing that when he draws us into a relationship, he puts us on the other knee. Now, Jesus is the only Son of God by nature, just in who he is. But we're adopted by grace upon grace, like he talked about. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. We're adopted and, and sat on that other knee. And have the right to be called children of God. You're not becoming gods yourself, but you're being invited into the family. In the book that I mentioned last week or the week before, Delighting in the Trinity, author Michael Reeves says this, Knowing God as our Father not only wonderfully gladdens our view of Him, it gives the deepest comfort and joy. The honor of it is stupefying. To be the child of some rich king would be nice, but to be the beloved of the emperor of the universe is beyond words. Other gods might offer forgiveness, but this God welcomes us and embraces us as his children, never to send us away. Never to send us away. So what do you need to do with Jesus this morning? John has said, and we've just barely scratched the surface of the beauty of this passage, He is the source of life. Physically, yes. Spiritually, as well. As he brings light that enlightens every heart. So what are you going to do with the light? You're going to close your eyes, pretend like you don't see it, roll over and go back to sleep? Or are you going to look at him and say, God, I don't know all that it's going to take. I don't know all that it's going to cost. But I want to receive you. I want to be your child. I want to have hope. I want to have peace. I want to have joy that only you can give. And so I'm going to commit to following you. Now, I know as I look around this room, probably most of us in here already know Jesus and have a relationship with him. So you say, well, good, that's good. I'm glad you're giving a good gospel message. Two thoughts. One, in those moments when the darkness seems to be creeping back in, whether it's fear and anxiety, like the ladies will be studying about, whether it's looking at the catastrophes in the world around us. What do you do? Do you curl up in a ball? (laughs) Do you get angry and start swigging at the darkness? Or do you run and curl up in the lap of your father? He said, Dad, I need you to take care of this. 
I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to rest right here because you've drawn me into a relationship with you. Now, I know some of you guys are looking at me like, I'd never do that. <clears throat> I'm too much of it. Listen, guys, inside all of us, there's that little boy that's standing on top of the hill saying, hey, look at me, I'm king of the mountain. And it's just true. Are you willing to be honest enough with Jesus to say, you know what? I'm willing to curl up in your lap. I need you. I'm afraid. I don't get it. You willing to be honest enough about that? Or are you going to be prideful and miss out? The other thing that we see, by the way, is we'll see with John next week. We'll talk more about it. But God's called you to reflect the light to the rest of the world. I don't know if you guys saw the moon last night, but there for a while it was crystal clear when I looked out at it. There was like no humidity and it just shines so bright. You remember the light of the moon is not the moon's light. It's simply reflecting the light from the sun. In the midst of the darkness in the world around you, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the frustration, when you curl up in your father's lap, are you willing then to be a part of reflecting that light to the world around us? so that they too would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. That's my hope and my prayer. Let's take a moment and just respond. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Daniel's going to come up. What do you need to do this morning? Have you ever received Christ or have you just been keeping him at arm's length? Do you need to surrender to him? He is the source of life, the source of light, and the one who invites us into a relationship with him and the Father. By the way, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we just don't really get into that in this passage. Are you going to receive him or are you going to just keep rejecting him? If you're here today and you've received him, what difference does it make? How is that changing the way that you live? How is it changing the way you look at the news or the way that you deal with that strained friendship or that family? When you get worried about inflation, get worried about the stock market, you get worried about that illness, that weird feeling in your back that won't quite go away. Even down to the how you respond when you get cut off going to Walmart. How do you respond? Maybe this morning what you need to do is just take a moment for the first time in a while and just climb up in your father's lap. To sit there and decide and say, God, I don't, I just hurt. I need you. What do you need to do to respond? If you need to talk with me or if you want me to pray with you or something like that, if you want to follow Jesus and you have questions about that, any of those things, I'll be down front and would love to talk with you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand and sing. We're going to stand and sing a song of response to help you to commit to God what, what he's saying and doing in your heart. If you need me, I'm down front. If not, you do business with God where you are as you sing. So stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world and the life. 
We thank you that you're not just inviting us to give mental assent, but you're inviting us into this relationship with you that's unfathomable. That's so much more than we could ever imagine. God, we pray that you would help us to trust you. That you'd help us to reflect that light into the world around us in every conversation, in every thought, in every action, in every moment. That you would be exalted and lifted up. Thank you for loving us like you have. For doing the unthinkable, the unfathomable, coming to us to save us. Draw us to yourself now as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray.